kind of trying, well, you may seem like we've done the same thing over and over, but believe it or not, we're actually trying different things on Wednesday nights, trying to find out what uh, teaching style kind of fits this. And so, uh, again, we're going to try something a little bit different. This is something more designed for small groups, but what's small groups, right? I, I could, we could say this is a small group. And so, uh, Pentecostal life, how many actually have get Pentecostal life? You read through that at all? Okay, so some of you... This is going to be great. Um, some of you have read it, so you can help, and some of you haven't, so this is all new. So this is going to be a wonderful night. Uh, what they have started doing is an engaged section in Pentecostal Life that has some small uh, Bible studies, but then there is material that can be used in small groups. So there's discussion questions, things, and, I, and hopefully this will work in, in this format as well. So that's where we will be tonight. And so I'd read this one, and it's just kind of stuck with me. And it's probably just that I was feeling convicted about it. Um, you guys are off the hook, but you're stuck with me uh, for this lesson tonight. And it is, um, as again, I can't take credit for the handout or anything like that. Although I did change the handout. It was 8.5 font. I mean, I had trouble reading it. And so I went all the way up to 12. Now, some of you may say it's going to be bigger, but that filled up the page. And so that's where we got Went ahead and put some lines in the back. I know some people enjoy taking notes, not that you're required to do that, uh, but if that's something you want to do, you have that opportunity as well. And so a, a witness in social media, and so obviously it's actually a holy witness in social media, so we want to, a couple things we're going to be talking about. In fact, this past series, everything was about being holy, so that's no surprise there. But a holy witness, so that's a key word, and then social media. Now, we say social media, we, it's, it's broader than just social media. We're going to talk about our conversation in general, um, but the truth of it is probably more of us communicate via social media than any other way. Actually, most of us just creep on other people, right? We, we open up an app and we creep and see what other people are doing. Uh, it's just reality. Um, but uh, but there, especially in the, the younger generation, uh, there's definitely been a shift, and that is the primary way that they communicate. Uh, they ask each other out on dates via text, and they break up with one another via text or social media. Uh, some of us are thinking it's strange, and then I get that. Uh, but the whole social media as a form of communication is uh, taking the world by storm. Uh, my grandmother, and probably I think most of you I know have social media as well, and um, friends with you. But regardless of whether you have social media or not, Tyler is the standout as the no social media younger generation um, it's just going against culture, right? Uh, it's not a bad thing. But we want to talk about communication, um, and then specifically we'll highlight some things with social media. Social media, if we talk about social media communicating online, uh, what are some ways that, what are some differences that you have noticed in the way people communicate via social media versus face-to-face? -face? Anybody? What's that? Definitely more bold. In what way do you mean that? Because I agree with you, and I think we're on the same track there. All right, so they say much more online than they would in person. And when you say bold, what comes to my mind is sometimes very much more harsh, harsh, um, judgmental, yes, very much. Other things that you've noticed. Profane. Yeah. Um, and, and I would say even a lot of Christians that are well-intended, it changes the way that they communicate. 
Some of the things that they would not dare say face to face, they will say online or via social media. I'll go a step further. They will post some things. I'm going to get on, step on some toes, right? They will post some things that we all agree we don't agree with. But something is emboldened inside of us that there's some anonymity that allows us to do certain things we would not otherwise do. And we don't realize what it does to our witness, to those around about us, to those that are not a part of the church, or even potentially a stumbling block for those that are a part of the church. And so we want to look at what it means to be a holy witness in our communication. So I'm obviously broadening it just a bit. So just as a, as a point to get us started a little bit into this topic, and I think you have that on, on your handout too, the first question. Um, so talk a little bit about, you know, from the time that you can first remember time, you know, bits and pieces of what you can remember, to where we are now, what are some of the cultural, radical cultural shifts that you have experienced in your lifetime? Things that were one way when you were a certain age, and now you look around and it's radically different in society. Okay, so acceptance of homosexuality, that's, uh, you know, definitely a big one. I heard somebody else say something. What's that? Respect is in what way? A lack of respect, I assume? Okay. Right. What else? Right. Right, and you add to that what Tyler already mentioned, and now not only do they have to do that, but at the age of four and five, they're talking about sexuality and are you male or female, and it's not biological. It's fluid. It can change. And this is accepted. This is actually taught in public schools. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. The circle of influence of what influences our children as well as adults has expanded. And the opportunity to find the obscure and make it mainstream is very easy now, right? So to find out what homosexuality was, you know, 40, 50 years ago, you might have went to Encyclopedia, Encyclopedia Britannica and it probably wouldn't have been there. Or if it was, it was not much information. Now what you get if you go to Google and search, 
we got to be very careful. And so that circle of influence of what uh, influences our children has shifted. Um, a lot more I could add there, but I'll go on. Brother Dwayne. Only 15. <laughs> this is great. Right. And that's actually in a book, by the way. You can be a tree. Yeah. Okay, you're aware of that. I didn't know if you didn't do that by accident or you'd heard that. Yes. Okay. So that's new to some of you. You're shaking your heads, but uh, we don't have to dive into that. But, <laughs> but yeah, and, and, but we know what the Word of God says, that God created him male and female. Created in God's image, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Right. There, there's been that lack of regard for human life. And, and we've talked about that. Pastors taught and even preached about that. There has been a huge shift. Um, and, and part of that, there's a lot of reasons for that. But let's be completely honest. Satan has always been for the generation to come. If you go back to the days of, of, of Moses um, and you can go all throughout history, there was always a purge of children. Because if you can destroy that generation, you can hold captive a people. And so Satan is after our children. He is after our families. The breakdown of our families um, is the cause for a lot of our issues. To be completely honest, the breakdown of the, the moral fabric um, is, is a lot of it starts with the breakdown of the family. Um, we think about what's accepted, and we could go to a lot of other things, but I, I think about, uh, in, in my profession, resumes, that job application, that's just the world I live in. If you think about, about 40, 50 years ago, in your mind, what might have been acceptable to personal information to disclose that you might not now? What, what would that be? It was actually very common. You go back, especially 40, maybe even only 30 years back, it was very common to disclose certain types of information that you wouldn't dream of disclosing now. Marital status? Yeah? Address? Um, brother? Yeah. Right. Right. Right, And there has been a, a separation between what society believes and the church. There was a time not too long ago that there was more, uh, they were more congruent. They, they believed a lot of the similar things. And that's why on resumes, job applications, it was actually okay to put that you are a regular member of whatever church um, and that you were a board member, that you were a deacon. These were things that were... Uh, completely acceptable, in fact, expected. This was something in your favor. Um, now, it's not. I can think of the last uh, promotion that I applied for. I was torn whether or not I put certain information, 
And then I finally made up my mind, well, if they can't deal with it, I don't want it, that job. So I just kept it on there, and then it worked out fine for me. But, but a lot has changed. And so we can feel rather exposed as a church, as a church body, and especially as a conservative organization, we feel more and more exposed than we've ever felt before. And so the next one on your list there is, is how have we adapted or what has shifted as an apostolic? Now, I, I know the correct answer is nothing has shifted. We're wrong. We're wrong. I'm not saying that it's right that there's been shifts, but there have been changes. And so maybe not to make this so personal, but what have you noticed among apostolics as we create this uh, divergence between society and the church? Mm -hmm. Hmm. Right. And I think sometimes we're so well-intentioned that we don't want to feel like somebody that's in the world has to jump from here all the way over here, right? So we compromise to say it's actually not that far. Let me make it a little bit easier for you. Let me make it. And, and we see that. We see that in our churches. It's a scary state. There has been a lot of compromise, all in the name of, well, I want to reach more people. But if we have changed the truth, then what are we really offering? Sister Susan? I think you were getting ready to say something. I... Okay. Right. Yeah, I, right, yeah, for sure, and that's kind of where we'll get to later on because it does present a struggle. For those of us that know the truth, we're not going to sell it, we're not going to compromise it, we're not going to let it go, but how do we communicate in this world? Because anything that you say, it offends somebody. Right. Right. Yeah, you got to love this thing so much that it doesn't matter what the world does. It doesn't matter what the world. But, but we see that happening in our churches. Um, it should alarm us, but it should also embolden us. I, I, I buy the truth and sell it not. I won't compromise it. Brother Larson? Right. Mm -hmm. 
right? It is a struggle as we become, uh, as we have more and more talent, that we balance talent with the Spirit. We can't just have talent in semantics that make people respond. It has to be the Spirit. We can't let go of the Spirit. That's great observation. Um, so we, we have to be careful. Um, again, not to hide, not to compromise, but we see that as a trend. And it's all because, again, that divergence between society and the church. Again, it, and, and now we see it more often uh, than not is that uh, even those that don't want to give up the truth, they, they want to kind of be incognito. You want to, I don't want to look out too weird. Um, they don't want to stand out. We'll get to that here in a moment as well. So I guess the question that brings us to, we see this separation between the church and society when not too many years ago the society was more in agreement with the church than what it is now. Now actually the church is blamed for a lot of societal problems, is it not? The church is the one that's bigoted. The church is the one that's misogynist. The church is all of these things. The church is the problem. If they were more tolerant, things would go better. Um, and so the church is a problem. But the question is, is this unique to the generation in which we are now? No. Okay. Yeah. Definitely the, the proliferation of it is much easier with social media, for sure. But, but we all know probably in ourselves that um, it's not as bad as it's been, and it's probably not as bad as it's going to get. Right? We just know where we've come from in our period of time within history, and we see the change, and it's alarming to us. Uh, we know when Paul is writing, and we're going to, the, your key verses that are there, and we'll get to those here in a moment, but when Paul is writing, you have to understand what's going on. In the Greco-Roman world of the first century, everyone had their own gods, and so Christians believed in one God, and Jesus is his name, and there was a lot of, of uh, pressure severe persecution, uh, that you have to conform to cultural norms. It, it, like, we all have our own God. You, can't have, you can have your own God, too. It just can't be Jesus, right? Uh, and there's more than one. You have to be accepting of my God, and then you can have yours, too. But uh, all of these things. Uh, there was a lot of risk to the unbeliever. Unbelievers, if they were reported, uh, they disbanded, persecuted, or even worse, we know that Scripture says that many of them were martyred. Again, I know where we are and how we feel society has fallen apart, but I thank God that I'm not in that, or at least not yet. Um, it's not as bad as sometimes I like to make it out to be. So how did the early church grow in a hostile culture, a persecution of martyrdom, of social norms that were far more extremely opposite, polar opposite than where we are in society today? But we know that there was revival. How did revival happen? Thoughts? Even in persecution, they never forgot that goal. 
So the church was persecuted, and what happened? So if we go back to Acts, and when the persecution first started, what happened to uh, the Christians? They scattered, and they went and hid, right? No. They scattered. They escaped death. I mean, that's, I want to live too. <laughs> you know, if I have the opportunity to go somewhere and not die, that sounds like a great thing. But they didn't go somewhere not to die and then keep their mouths shut. And they didn't go somewhere and try to convince everyone else, you're wrong and you're all going to hell. Now, this is where it's going to get a little touchy. They made disciples. It was all about instruction and teaching. They trusted and believed in God so much that even in persecution, it didn't keep their mouth shut. Some of us, if somebody looks at us crossways, we're tempted to dress differently, change what our beliefs are, or go against what the uh, church teaches about holiness because we want to fit in. We, we won't propagate this message around the world with that type of, of shyness about what we believe. If we don't really believe this thing, when we get real, we have not, in the United States, we have not experienced real persecution. And if this is the way we respond when somebody is offended about the way we dress or the way we don't do this or do this, we're going to have a tough road to follow. Because not everyone teaches that it's post-tribulation, but I think we're going through the tribulation. I hope I'm wrong. But if we go through the tribulation, we ain't seen nothing yet. There's going to be a lot of things that happen. And so we have got to love this truth and be sold out emphatically. And if that's the case, when we are persecuted, regardless of to what ends of the earth we are pushed, there will be revival. If our situation is we compromise so that we can stay where we are, this will never happen. But I know from the Word of God, there will be a people that will not be sold out and that regardless of how far they are pushed, they will not be silent. They will not keep their mouth shut because they believe and trust in the Word of God. Amen. I'm preaching and teaching more than I wanted. Yes, Sister Jackson. Right. 
our response a lot of times has gotten us in trouble because we've looked for a list of do's and don'ts and we preach a list of do's and don'ts without understanding the nature of God, without having a relationship with God. A list of do's and don'ts is not going to save anyone. If, if people don't fall in love with a God that has do's and don'ts, they're never going to be in a relationship that's going to sustain them. They're not going to find salvation. All right, I, I could go way deep, and I, I can't because we have to, have to make it to the end. Without a doubt, we know that even in our lifespans, and some of you have a couple of years on me, but even in my lifespan, I've seen a lot of changes. Uh, things have changed, and people can feel it regardless of denomination or if there's no denomination. I'll never forget a number of years ago we were preparing for some end-time uh, stuff that we were doing, and we were going door-to-door -door talking about people about this event that was going to go on, and, and it was amazing. No denomination, don't go to church. You start talking to people about the end time. You're like, the conversations, I don't ever remember anybody that I talked to said, y'all are crazy. But what I heard over and over, like something has changed. I feel like I heard this, I feel like we have passed a point of no return. People know that things have changed. That's our cue, church. When people, whether they've been in a church or not, know that something in society has drastically changed, something has happened in the spiritual realm, that is our cue, that people are looking for an answer. They're looking for a church, and we have to be that people that are prepared. I think at times, it's already been mentioned, we are embarrassed to stand out and to oppose or to stand against societal norms. Uh, but let's look at the teachings of Jesus, chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse number 12. You don't have that on your list, but I believe Brother Tracy has that for us. And uh, rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Now, there's four more scriptures after this, and I'm only going to pause in this one. But I think sometimes we need to be reminded, great is your reward in heaven. If you think about all the persecution that people went through uh, in, when you get to Acts and all the way through the epistles, this was a reminder. And again, we not even touched what they've touched. But a reminder that regardless of what comes, that too often now I believe that God blesses and He walks with those that walk with Him. Don't get me wrong. But even if we don't ever have what the world says is a blessing, my reward is not here. I can't say that enough. Our reward is not that we'll have a new house and a new truck. Our reward is not in anything that is on this earth. Our reward is in heaven. If we get our eyes on anything else, we will be deceived by the world because we can have a lot more going the way of the world. Be completely honest. But that's not what we're called to. Okay, I'm going to read the next few scriptures and I won't interrupt. Hear the picture that Jesus is creating here. Verse number 13. You're the salt of the earth, and if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is therefore, thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Verse 14. You're the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that ye see 
your, they see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now in context of, of how the church feels the need to hide, fit in, what image does this create that Jesus is painting here? Shine in this world, okay? When I think of that imagery, it is telling the church, everyone's always going to be looking at you. It's time you get used to it. It, it, You are of no value by fitting in and compromising the word. But the instruction is, is that we're like a city that is on a hill. Everyone looked. If you weren't looking before, suddenly you look. Because what? I'm standing up on a chair. Everyone's looking at me. It's a benefit of facing all the chairs this way. It just works that way. But the imagery that Jesus is instructing here is that when you follow my word, everyone's going to look at you. It's not always going to be in favor. I think sometimes we're deceived in that. Everyone's going to look at you and think, oh, I want to be like him. Now, there is going to be that because the scripture says that there's going to be those that glorify God because we are not compromising with the world and blending in. There is, when, when do we turn on the lights? Yeah. Let that sink in. Yeah, when it's dark. Let that sink in with the imagery that Jesus is painting here. What the world needs the most is when the world is the darkest for the church to be the brightest. When the world is the darkest, it's not our opportunity to kind of go with the flow. No, people are wandering in the darkness looking for direction, looking for answer. And we know we have it, but no one knows we have it. Because we're so consumed with fitting in to society. Hey, church, we, I, I feel like I'm preaching more than I'm teaching, and I apologize. But something, as I began to study this, it rose up in me, and I, I felt convicted. Hey, I can't go with the flow all the time. Jesus said, you're going to stand out. And when it's very, very dark, everyone's going to be looking at you. I need to be shining bright. I need to be reflecting the sun. We have the imagery of the wise and the foolish virgins, right, that are waiting for the bridegroom. What is the, here again, we have, it is dark, and what is the imagery that's created? Those that have the light, those are the ones that are the wise. So in the times of darkest, we can't compromise, that's the foolish, to say, you know what, no one else has got their light shining, let's just, let's just snuff this down, let's turn down the wick just a little bit. No. That's where we have to be all the more because people are looking to us. Peter was explaining to the Christians, uh, you know, that, are, that were being exiled here in 1 Peter um, of how to truly embrace this counterculture identity. And it really was counterculture because they come out of Judaism, so they were blacklisted there. But then they're going into the rest of the world, which believes in polytheism and believes in many, many gods. And to believe in only one, and you have to believe in this only one, is foolishness. They couldn't have success anywhere. And so here Peter is trying to instruct them, hey, here's how you're going to be different. How are they different? Peter is reaffirming some things here that it is holiness. 
holiness, being set apart, is what creates an identity that the world knows this is what truth is. This is what God is. If we don't live this, if we don't allow our light to, uh, to grow in holiness, where's the world going to look? And so Peter is instructing uh, the early church, even in the midst of all the adversity, uh, that we've got to allow uh, Christianity uh, to grow through authentic lives in holiness, in public. It doesn't matter what we do behind. It doesn't matter what we do behind closed doors. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> that almost came out really bad. <laughs> right? But not only what we do behind, in the confines of the sanctuary, we've got to live this in a public way that people know there is something different. They don't know that it's holiness and a consecration to God, but they should be able to see the light, and it will be that holiness. And here Peter is uh, speaking to them. And so I know when we look at society, I get it. We want to defend ourselves. We want to defend the truth. I understand that part. It is a fine line that we walk. We get frustrated that people don't get it. We get frustrated that people have been deceived. People that we know know the truth. How many have just been fed up? You see something like, they know the truth. I've danced with them in the, in the altar before. I was there when they got the Holy Ghost. I was there when God healed them from the incurable disease. You're like, and you're frustrated. And I, I get that. I'm there with you. And our flesh wants to meet fire with fire. If they're going to attack the truth, I'm going to attack them with the truth right back. It is a fine line. Um, and after all, when we go to make those arguments, truth is on our side. Yes, truth is on our side. But there is a caution in how we communicate. Second uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse number 1 through 5. And I'll, I'll read this. I charge thee... Therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Here's some instructions. So as Paul is writing to Timothy, this is one of the last epistles he's going to write. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. That long suffering, we struggle there. Uh, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust, they shall keep to themselves teachers having an itching ears. How many feel like we're there already, right? And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. I read all of that to say this. There was a lot of instructions about how we use this word. But we are actually... Nowhere in here instructed to defend Scripture. Our theology don't matter a hill of beans. It's the Word of God. We are instructed to, to teach, to preach, to reprove. Nowhere in there is defense of the Word. It is not your responsibility to have to defend the Word of God. I'll go a step further. It, you don't have to defend God. If my God is so small that he needs his creation to defend him, I don't serve a great God. No, I serve an omnipotent, omniscient God. And he doesn't need me. Now, I know because we've experienced the truth, 
that, that we feel that when somebody blasphemes against the Holy Ghost that knows the truth or against anything against our God, I understand uh, the feeling, the need to, to stand up against that. But we have to do it in a different way. We can't let the, what rises up in our flesh on how to communicate be the way that we communicate. Before we go too far into 1 Peter, which we're going to go into some of these questions that you have at the bottom here on how we have a, a litmus test of what Peter is instructing uh, the followers, his followers to do um, and how we communicate now, especially in social media, when we, again, by my own admission, uh, sometimes I communicate in a way that I wouldn't normally communicate face-to-face. Now, I've gotten a lot better. I type a lot more than I post, right? I type it, and God can... I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah, that tells me otherwise. We have to understand... I, I, I like what my Bible uh, says here. Um, it is an apostolic study Bible, and so there's a, a preface to 1 Peter explaining what is going on here. I think we have to understand in context what Peter and how he is communicating to the readers of this epistle. We have to understand uh, that because then it begins to make sense. And, and what I mean by that, people do this all the time. They take the epistles, um, and the epistles were not written to the world. Surprise! They were written to the church. When you understand that, your understanding of what you find in epistles should change because they were written to the saved. They were written to people that had already followed the plan of salvation, had repented of their sins, were living, trying to live an overcoming life, baptized in the name of Jesus, filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost with evidence of speaking in other tongues. They'd already done that. And so Peter is saying, you're going to have to continue to grow. So the epistles are trying to give instruction to a growing, maturing church on how I mature, not to just doctrine. Okay? So let's understand that. Here's what I find that's kind of inappropriate. So it says the theme of 1 Peter is appropriate Christian response to suffering. We get in our own pity party. We're suffering at the hands of the world. So I've got to respond. Okay, that's a little overdramatic. Uh, First Peter was evidently written, this is what my study Bible says, was evidently written around A.D. 62 to 64, uh, prior to the breakout of persecution under Nero against the church. Nero launched his attacks on Christians after much of Rome was destroyed uh, by fire on July 19, uh, 64 A.D., which was blamed, he blamed on the church, the Christians. Imagine that. Something goes wrong in society and they blame the church. Hey, I think we're headed back that way. We're already well on our way there. The letter seems to imply this persecution has not yet officially begun. They're obviously feeling it. And more intense suffering was looming on the horizon. So understand, Peter is writing to the church, and he said, you're feeling persecution. There are things that are changing. There are things that we see on the horizon that we're not comfortable with, but I've got to give instruction to you on how to respond to these things. And so let's look at what he uh, uh, responds to them. And so we're going to, kind of in context of how we communicate, it's these questions that most of them are at the bottom of your page. And it'll kind of work us through these last uh, few scriptures here in 1 Peter. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 14. As obedient ch children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust 
in your ignorance. Now, former lust. Again, just a reminder, he's not writing to the world. <laughs> this should be evidence, right? Talking about your former lust, uh, the flesh, the old man that's been crucified. And what he's saying here is the way that you would have responded before, if you respond that way now, since salvation, that's ignorant. That's foolish. That's not what you've been called to do. And so he's instructing them, there has to be a change. Holiness has called for a spiritual growth within you. And the way we respond, even in suffering, even in persecution, has to be representative of that. Well, I thought that holiness was just the way I dressed. No, that is part of it. But that's not what Peter is addressing here. And so how we respond, is it going back to the old man? Is it the things that flare up? I, I find that when I type very quickly in response to something, especially in social media, it's probably the flesh rising up. The spirit probably didn't rise up that quick. It should, but it's probably not what happened. So what is that motivating force? What is the principle behind that response? Second one. Would my digital postings and comments be considered holy? Now, I think we have to go to what, understand a little bit more. Now, obviously, Peter is not writing about social media here. But let's see what he is writing about. Verse number uh, 14, or 15, I'm sorry. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy. We like to quote that, be ye holy for he's holy. And then he clarifies that in all manner of conversation. If we think that it's only that we can put on for females, put on a dress, not cut our hair, do all of the things that we think constitute holiness, and let garbage spew out of our mouth, we have missed it. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. To bring it to 21st century, the hands typeth, right? But I like that he said, all conversation. It is conversation. And so we have to be very mindful of that. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. He repeats it again. He's like, you've got to get this. Holiness is not what we put on our body alone. But it is also what comes out of us in manner of communication. And again, remember who he's writing to. The people that are in the midst of being persecuted and accused of foul things that they know they're not the cause of, they're coming to change the world, but yet they're being abused for it. All right, so if what I'm posting, is it holy? I, there's things that we're going to post that are amoral, right? They don't fit into any category. But we need to be very mindful that sometimes we post things and just assume they're amoral and there is some things that are attached to them. Is what I am posting holy? I'm going to go beyond communication with words and even what I post in pictures, what I share. Is it holy? Does it promote unity in the body? Does it promote unity in the church? Does it promote a light that people look at me and say, I want what he has, even if I don't know what the cause of that light is? Is that what I post? Is that how I communicate? The next question, am I laying aside all malice, all guile? This is from 1 Peter. Uh, oh, I think I skipped one here. Um, this, yeah, the next question, 
With this honor, the ad, I never can say that way. Admonition. So I enunciate it. To love one another with a pure heart fervently. That's 1 Peter 1.22. Love one another with a pure heart. Pure heart. I'm challenging us, and this is not saying that, I hear some of you several saying it's hard. It is. I'm not standing up here making this up. With a pure heart, fervently. So not only with a pure heart, but fervently so. That after I cultivate the heart, that I communicate in love fervently. That that is what spews out of my mouth is fervent love. Don't forget who he's writing to, the ones that are in the midst of persecution and being accused for things which they did not do. Yeah, Brother Doug. Yeah. Wow. Am I laying aside all malice, all guile, hypocrisies, envyings, and all evil speakings? Again, he's writing to the church. Malice, God, it's very tempting in the face of opposition, of accusations, of being ostracized, of being not part of a work uh, clique because you're different. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing that in, in the culture of, oh, I've got to hurry, in the culture of acceptance, there's an exclusion. The church, right? Uh, we embrace Diversity, we are an inclusive organization unless you think differently than me. Okay, yeah, that, that doesn't make sense, but that is what they say. But even in the face of all that, we have to let go of malice, guile, hypocrisies. That can kind of hit home to the church. We've not always done well, right? We like to point out everyone else's faults for things in which we're already doing well. We don't want to look at the things and parts of our lives that we're not doing well. That's a hypocrite. To take pleasure in pointing out the failures of somebody else. I'm not saying there's not judgment that goes on. That's a whole other subject. But hey, we can't be so you know, just upset that we want to point out everyone else's failures just because we've been accused of things that are not correct. All right, No evil speaking. Again, when I'm communicating, and especially in social media where we are known, we all agreed at the beginning we are more prone to falling into the flesh. I think you're already getting the picture, but you can communicate truth and be 100% wrong according to what this is saying. If you communicate with malice, if you communicate with hypocrisy, uh, with guile, with evil speaking, in other words, talking down to someone, accusations, I don't care if truth is on your side, you're still wrong because be you holy for I am holy. In all conversations. All right. You're like, what can I say now? Is showing, is this showing, is my communication, is my social media showing forth the praises of him? This is uh, second, or First Peter 2, 9. The praises of him who have called me out of darkness into this marvelous light. A lot of us have ruined a testimony a long time ago 
Because we've heard it said, well, if that's what Christianity is, I don't want a part of it. Oh, that can fix my heart when I hear people say that. We messed up. We forgot that it is in our communication. It doesn't matter if we have the truth. It also matters in how we communicate. I think that should be a, it ought to convict our soul every time we hear that. Now, I know some people get their feelings hurt and they're just looking for an excuse. I get that. But at the same time, when somebody says, if that's what the church is like, I don't want any part of that. We need to be very careful. A lot of times that is the way that things were communicated. Um, next one. Will this interaction, will this post, will this conversation allow me to be considered honest among the Gentiles? And this is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 12. I'm going to read that. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers. In other words, they're accusing you of being evildoers. But you're having an honest conversation with them. They may, by your works, okay, this is our response. Our response of an accusation of being an evildoer. Our response is the good works, which they shall behold and glorify God in the day of the visitation. In other words, there are people that will be touched and changed. They will see the light. We came out of the darkness to become the light. And in our response to the pressure and all of these things, our response, the good works, causes people to see the light and they're changed. Does our communication do that? Would this reflect, i got to move quickly, would this reflect a holy desire to submit to every ordinance, again this is 1 Peter chapter 2, 13 and 14, to every ordinance of man of the Lord's, uh, Lord's sake, whether it be king as a supreme or governor. In other words, we have to submit to authority. Uh, we're going to the next question. Will this allow me to fulfill the will of God with well-doing? Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 15 um, I don't have that here. Verse number 15. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. How we respond, the well-doing, it puts to silence. Is this living, is this post, is this communication, is this living as free and not using my liberty uh, for a cloak of malice? but as a servant of God. This is 2.16. Again, this goes back to the thing. It's very easy to uh, put the truth in the form of a hammer and kill people with it. But in our, we can't do it with malice, even when we're being attacked, even when we're being accused, even when we're being called that you're crazy. We can't attack, even if the truth is on their side. We can't put it in a guise, in a cloak, and use it for the destruction somebody else. That hurts. The last one, will this allow me, will this post, this communication, this response allow me to reflect Christ in my suffering? Say, so how does he reflect Christ? Let's read that. First Peter chapter 2, verse number 20 and verse 23. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently, but if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. Kind of back and forth. In modern day language, that's kind of confusing. But I think you'll understand when uh, Peter gives the comparison here, you'll understand what he's trying to say. Verse 23. 
who, when he was talking about Jesus, who, when he, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself uh, to him that judgment righteously. It's easy to see the post, to see the person that you used to call a friend and now has fallen away and is in a life of sin. And it's easy to see the post that they make that is the personal attack on the church that's on the belief that we all held dear. And the response can rise up in us and it do more damage than good. And so I think if we look at how Peter is instructing us to respond and we put on that lens in our communication with a pure heart, with love, fervently, then I'm not guising the truth as a cloak and using it with malice because I'm offended. A lot of times we're just hurt. That's somebody that we put trust in, that maybe was in a leadership position, maybe that we even sat under, is now doesn't have the truth. And it's so easy to respond, not as we should, as we all stand. None of this is easy, but it called me out as I began to read this. As I began, I just couldn't stop thinking about it. And again, because where we are headed... This world needs the light, and they need it to shine bright. We can't compromise the light to be closer to the dark. The darker it gets, even if we don't change anything, the brighter we're going to appear. The more we're going to stand out in translation. That's okay. Jesus said, that's how I planned it. How are people going to find the truth if there's no light? I pray that God would help us in this last day that we know we're into that would help us in our communication, not just with social media, but one with another. I think also very special as we also pray over our children. They face so many things that we never experience. Can we do that right now? Lord Jesus.